Hello to you all, it's Molly here. Welcome to this week's episode of In Fairness Inquire, Roscommon Artists, a special series of our podcast which is dedicated to interviewing astounding creative artists that are based here at home in Roscommon. In these interviews, we're going to be talking to actors, theatre makers, drama facilitators, comedians, writers, directors, poets, producers, a dancer and a weaver. We're going to be discussing how they started in their profession, obstacles they have faced along the way, how they've been impacted by the pandemic, the importance of creativity in their lives, their influences, how they stay motivated to keep creating, and most importantly, how you, the listener, can support their work. We want to make audiences all around the world aware of the constant stream of Roscommon-based creative work, and we also hope this series might encourage some of you to support local art, recognise its necessity, and maybe even pursue some creative endeavours of your own. This series comes to you thanks to the generous support of Roscommon County Council, who have kindly commissioned this series and endorsed us with the necessary equipment and software to record the interviews safely and remotely during the summer of 2021. This week we're joined by Anthony Keeher, or ex-Anthony, who grew up in Roscommon and has been based in London and working in the cabaret and nightlife scene there since 2013. Anthony speaks to us openly and authentically about the practical and confident approach he takes in his work, particularly in his aim to educate his audiences in a fun, exhilarating and challenging way. Anthony uses history, music, various mediums of performances and, most importantly, fun to create memorable nightlife pop cabaret shows in nightclubs and theatres in London with the important aim of including diversity and representation in his team. He generously shares with us his experience behind creating Confirmation, an autobiographical pop show about growing up in Roscommon, the only county in Ireland that had the majority no vote in the 2016 marriage referendum, and the abuse he suffered from a young age because of being gay. Anthony, like in a lot of his work, set out to investigate why his home county felt this way about gay marriage and candidly shared with us about the re-traumatising effects creating and staging this show caused him, but also the important lessons it taught him in his work and others' works. Thank you again, Anthony, for sharing this with us and our audiences and for creating the magnificent confirmation which, as you will hear from this interview, did go on to inspire young budding artists. While it's important to nurture your inner diva, Anthony also strongly believes in facilitating spaces for others to show off and to sparkle in his community work, such as the Colouring In art exhibition he helped create with the Brothers of Charity in Roscommon and with the Legends and Legacies Ball, in which he created a space for older members of the LGBTQ plus community to showcase their talent. We could talk at length about the amazing and innovative work Anthony creates, but we'll let him say it for himself. Just a heads up, this interview contains some strong language and sexual references that may not be suitable for audiences of all ages. Please enjoy the chat and we'll catch you at the end for a few more updates on the series and how you can keep up with the wonderful ex-Anthony. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy. Hello. 
Hello and welcome to this week's episode of In Fairness Inquire, Ross Common Artists. This Woo-hoo. week we are joined by the wonderful Anthony Keher. Yay! Woo. Welcome! Hello. All Thank the way from London. Me. Yes. Hello from London. Yay, the glamour. <laughs> Lovely to have you. Absolute gla- glamour, absolute glamour. Yeah. How are you getting on? Perfect. We are sweating in this heat. We're recording this in the middle of July during the heat wave. And is the, has the heat wave reached yourselves? I'm inside. I'm not going outside. <laughs> I'll, I'll only go Too outside much. after 8pm. I was inside a warehouse all day yesterday and I came out briefly and I was extremely shocked by the change of weather. But um, it's very unusual because we've had like this awful wintry April weather for the most of July. Mm-hmm. So I'm just not prepared for it. And I, I'm not going to be prepared for it because last year I got the worst sunstroke ever. Oh, so no. uh, I, I mean, you said you have editorial control, but what I'd say next. <laughs> let's just say, let's just say, don't get into a bath thinking you've got a migraine when actually you've got sunstroke. Ah, uh, okay. You can take the boy out of Roscommon. Dot dot dot. Night after Rockford's nonsense. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, So, Anthony, how would you describe, in your own words, um, the creative work that you do? Oh, I hate this question so much because it's so funny because everyone's always like, describe yourself one line, and it's like it just changes so much. But Mm -hmm. I guess I would just describe myself as a producer of queer entertainment and. education maybe that's what it is because it changes sometimes it's like i make cabaret in a nightlife space i make club work in large warehouses i make theater experiences that don't go down well with the irish times you know it depends on like what i'm making i also make like mentoring queer um kind of like mentoring young art queer artists and stuff as well so it's it's kind of a conglomerate of different sort of stuff um mm. but it, it's queer and it cha- it tries to challenge like norms and a lot of it's also focused on history so um for example the i made a show a couple of years ago about the roscommon voting no in the referendum and and call confirmation and then also i may i'm making a show about oliver cromwell at the moment which is like a revisioning of his history which is controversial to say the least mm-hmm. um so i kind of also i do i do kind of academic kind of like essays about what is history and how can we change it and that's a very long-winded story to say i'm just really good nah, yes you're class yes and you describe <laughs> yourself on your website like one of the like opening sentences of describing you on your website is nightlife visionary Ah, yes, because someone said believe in yourself, and um, yes, I mean, I mean, it is sort of true because, like, I do. I, I mean, yeah, I mean, ugh. I mean, I remember every nightlife experience I've had, which means there's something good about that. Um, I think I, I just, I've been, I've been on the scene in the London like nightlife scene for like God, many, many years, and I've just sort of developed my own kind of unique approach to making experiences at nighttime which are kind of unforgettable and that that's kind of true because I always feel after the shows that I put on people are like bawling crying but they're like in a nightclub so that's really like so that's kind of like that's the aim and that's why I've kind of ended up doing less and less stuff because to get people to cry every time you come to a nightlife experience you can't do it every week. So mm-hmm. the last time we did, the last show I did really was in June. I did an Irish St. Patrick's Day party in June in a massive like, kind of like the Gaiety Olympia type space called mm-hmm. the Clapham Sodom Brand. and Begara, wasn't it? Sodom and Begara, yeah. And that kind of came out of uh, the kind of Brexit vote in 2016 and kind of like an Irish home for people in London. But it's become more than that. It's like a kind of an international queer celebration of 
European internationalism. But um, that, like, we at the end of that show, people were like standing up, bowling, you know, singing like songs together in COVID, obviously, which is slightly slightly dodgy. But um, so yeah, and I, why I don't do know. you think? I, why do you think it had that emotional reaction? I think it's the way that um, I think first of all, like obviously, people haven't been in shows in so long, and we were kind of like the first one of the first shows to really open after lockdown. Um, but also, it's the way that I would kind of curate events or curate night nighttime experiences, which I'm no, I'm sure you all know what the word dramaturgy is. Mm-hmm. You know, when you like use something to kind of give an overall structure or whatever. I mean, I don't even know really what the word means. I think we could all Me do with a dramaturg. It's... Yeah, like I just find it's like the academic study behind the world of a play or a piece of theatre. You're making sure things kind of make sense as well. You're like, why would exactly. that character do that? And yeah, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I don't so know. I try and bring that into a my life and mm-hmm. b um, nightlife experiences, so that when you put on a show, there's this like, like my previous producer was just like agog at like how detailed I got I got into the flow of like why each act goes where and I would literally be sitting looking at a, a board of post-its being like well that person's going to say those words which means this has to change and then that means that's an emotional peak and that next thing is just really fun people will laugh at that and that act won't be that good but people need something poor so the rest is really good you know <laughs> la, 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 la. and there's all these like processes so I put a lot of I put a lot of um time and effort into making sure that it's a, a it's a really effective tapestry that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah and so you are based in London. So tell us about real. Tell us about your journey from Roscommon to London. I suppose uh, it was. I got a plane from Dublin <laughs> on the twenty second of September. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Back up, back up. <laughs> How did you get to the Dublin? Plane? How did you get to? <laughs> she went to Dublin <laughs> for some Oh my goodness me! This this was BC before COVID. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, no, basically, I had like I don't know. I I went to art college and I was doing paint and stuff and I was doing performance art and blah 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 blah. And then I kind of felt like well, I need to take myself a bit more seriously and. Blah, blah, blah. And I and got was that into in this Dublin master. or Galway? E- NCAD, babes. Okay. Yeah. Art, an art babe. Cute. Like, total. I look back at it now and I'm like, what a pile of wank. Like, NCD <laughs> is such a middle class hole. And it, it, I look back now and I was like, God, it was so, like, white and male dominated. And I, I've just had a lot of realizations about, like, that experience. But, um,. So yeah, I, I kind of wanted to expand my performance work and I got into Goldsmiths in, in, in London in a performance making uh, masters and I just finished a show in The Fringe, my first solo show in 2015 called Kitchcock and which was awful. Amazing like, It was a name. terrible show. I know, great I'm great at the though. titles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was where my gift was and is, remains. Um, but um it, the show got this one star review from the Irish Times saying it was self-indulgent shambles. They misspelled indulgent. And um, <laughs> it was, I mean, the show was dodgy and it was experimental and it was bad. Like, I kind of accept that, but uh, it just radicalised me so deeply. Like, this sort of like, oh, wow, so you don't like what I do. That's so interesting. And great, I have this master's booked, so I'm just going to go now. Like, mm. I'm just going to leave because I don't feel like there's a space here. And there isn't, wasn't really a space in Ireland for me probably for years because it just didn't have the tools, the cabaret scene and that kind of queer nightlife scene was very much dominated by like drag and sort of more con- okay. conservative versions of drag and stuff like that. So when I moved here, um, it kind of was like a new lease of life and kind of, I mean, I was still, I was really bad at art here for many years until maybe 
couple of years ago like you're I just felt really bad at it what I was trying to do for many years and then it just kind of clicked one day and then I was good I think yeah ah. I think I think um when when did you leave Dublin and go to London 20 uh oh god sorry 2013 I meant to say 2013 yeah, so, okay yeah 13 2013 not 30 um <laughs> um yeah 2013 time yeah, I wish. Oh my god! Actually, my flatmate was like, "Can we just try time travel?" Anyway, um, yeah. So it was kind of like mid, kind of building back from the crash and stuff, and there wasn't really many opportunities. Yeah. And London was never really. There were, I remember going to get a job here in a restaurant, and like they were like begging for me to start, and I'd never had that experience because, you know, in Ireland it was just like, to get a job was really difficult. So yeah, that was yeah. Interesting. Um. So you moved to you moved to London and then what was that like? How did you how did you find your place in that scene? Well, it just became an extension of university life where kind of like you were just on your journey and there was no just it's very anonymous. And that kind of for someone who at the time was I mean, I am still obviously an attention seeker because I make shows. But back then I was like so gung ho about being at absolutely the centre of everything. And it was great because at the same time I had this ability just to hide and do my thing and not no one's watching me. And, you know, I could just sort of like try new things and um, kind of got lost into the, the glory nightlife. Glory is like a East London queer space and just started working with loads of drag queens and it kind of built up a little kind of circle of people, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And would you would you describe Sodom and Begara as like a productions company? Uh, no, or I mean, is it like a uh, recurring theme night? It's it's so interesting because, yeah, you know, like art and making stuff and theater, like I, it never stays still for me. So things are constantly changing, and the meaning behind things changes. And I might be like in the loo, and I'll go, Sodom Begara, it's over now. It's never coming back. You know, mm-hmm. I just know that's the way it is. But it, Sodom Begara was like a nightlife, like in the kind of like glitter hole, Sodom and Begara. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a nightlife experience celebrating queer Irishness in the UK. That's what it was. And that's... So can you talk us through, like, the St. Patrick's Day extravaganza that you had in June? And, like, what kind of performers did you have? And, like, what did the night look like? And what kind of songs did people hear? And what kind of performances were happening? Yeah, so Sodom Abgara in June... So, obviously, that show had been booked in 2019... 20... A date previous yes. to COVID, and um, it had it had been planned. Um, God, it's so my brain like it's just so weird. It was planned and then it got cancelled. And by the time it got cancelled three times, I just was like, I'm not doing this. And then there was this offer of a space in June in June on June 11th for a St Patrick's Day extravaganza, and I thought let's just do it like it, yeah. people will be dying for like some form of home and that was kind of what we were trying to do we were trying to like bottle up the feeling of being in Ireland when we haven't left for a year or two mm-hmm. so that was kind of the main thing um and kind of for that experience what I usually end up doing is deciding what my priorities are so like for this experience I really wanted to go big because sometimes you end up making small intimate shows which are really powerful but I wanted like circus I wanted Ariel I wanted Massive drag queens. I also really wanted to book people who are Irish that were from different parts of the world. So, like, um, there was an amazing American, Japanese, Irish artist called Shay Shay. Um, that's so I really wanted to kind of present a version of Ireland that we're not so familiar with, you know, mm-hmm. that isn't just white, basically. Um, so that was kind of one of my main aims. It's like, 
as a producer, when I produce events, is to make sure that there is not just tons of white guys on stage in drag because it just isn't representative. And then I really loved when um, one of my friends, I volunteered at a food bank near up the road. Uh, she's Filipino um, and she was like, oh, from, from a Catholic Filipino background to see, you know, two um, Asian, British or Irish people on, on the poster, for me, is just really inclusive. And then that was really exciting because it was like, wow, we're bringing like Ireland into this like other realm, you know, of like diversity. Brilliant. Mm. So I'm noticing that I think being Irish in London is something that a lot of people are really proud of. And, you know, there's podcasts based on it and there's things like what you're doing based on it. And what do you think that is? What do you think that's about? Like, why do you think that passion is there for Irish people to hold those spaces for themselves and celebrate being Irish all around the world? Where do you think that comes from? I think I think that that desire comes from a mix of um, latent miseducation or uneducation in the UK system, A. Mm. B, um, a desire to like dismantle colonialism subconsciously. People don't admit it, but it is. C, making a space in a country where people who are other that aren't white and English, you know, you start to subconsciously take in this sort of idea that you are, while you're white and you're kind of approachable and you're actually quite sweet, People, you know, English people think Irish people are very sweet, you know, mm. uh, it's a bit patronizing. So there's sort of like a desire for me, there's a desire to like mark your space and your territory. But also there's a huge group of people here that are from Ireland and they just want to hear their stories, you know, and, and have chats. And um, I know there's loads of those things, but for me, it's never been a kind of like, well, there's an audience here. I must cash in on them. It was always a kind of like oh, I have all these people around me and we don't really have a space to go to that's like very much like an Irish celebration. Let's do that. Um, so, yeah, but mainly it's down to this like English sort of, and I'm obsessed with it. And my um, people I know think that I'm like radicalizing people <laughs> into like pro-Irishness, yeah, but funny. I'm not. I'm yeah, just saying, it's funny. It's funny when like um, Irish people want to talk about their history of colonization and, you know, like, English people almost take it as a personal offence and it's like, no, like, stop taking it so personally. It's just the history. It's just what happens. It's not your fault, you know. Yeah. It's not your fault, but dot, 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 um, (laughs) you can can do (laughs) these things to make it better, you know. Yeah. I just just noticed this as well since, even since, um, you know, really strongly since Brexit, like, this sort of weird, like, babying of Irish people, like, we're very nice and kind and sweet and, you know, oh, you would never do anything. The Irish people are so nice. But I'm like, we're not that nice. We're awful. Like, what are you talking <laughs> about? Like, um, yeah. there and I know I was, I was recently out of an event recent, uh, recently, recently, and I had to tell an English guy to just stop talking. I didn't get into an argument with him because I was like, I'm not going to get into an argument, you know, pick my mm. battles. And he was like, England, Ireland, Republic. It's all the same, isn't it, mate? And I was like, please stop right now. Stop talking. Mm-hmm. Like, just don't go there because you're going to offend me. And you're making everyone else feel uncomfortable at the table and um that happens so often and it's 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 starting to get on my nerves also i'd like to say, be able to say the letter or without having to say or for room that's that's, that's small things um you don't experience that in ireland but if i'm describing yeah. my name k-e-i-g-h-e-r people go k-e-i-g-h-o-o and it's it's small things like that that really get my yeah goat Mm. um my best friend lives in london and she she talks about how 
she's she's almost internalized this kind of sense of the Irish are, you know, sweet and cute and funny because she finds herself sometimes when she's socializing, um, you know, having loads of crack with people and loving to make people laugh. And then she finds afterwards being like, was I just playing the Irish person there? Do you know, to like, yeah. to like make people feel comfortable? I don't know. Do you ever feel, yeah. do you ever hear anything about that? I do, but I don't play that game in the sense that like, and no offense to your friend or, you yeah. know, obviously, um, but I, I kind of, I, I like, can I curse? Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> yeah, I like to, I like to fuck with people. So like if, <laughs> if people are being a certain way, because of the stage work I do, I have an ability to twist people's arms really quickly in a quick conversation. Mm-hmm. So like if someone is being um, sort of, oogling me or like babying me or making a comment about Ireland that's like just stupid I'll just like hit back at them really quickly and and they they won't they won't mess with me again and you just educated one more soul so it's mm. always good mm. um but also like I mean it's it's small to, it's not the biggest deal in the world because like we're obviously just like why Irish people it's all fine but it is like it's part of a bigger problem of like England and not really knowing its past you know and mm. that's kind of my current kind of goal is to educate in a quiet and that brings us on nicely to oliver cromwell is really very sorry so tell us about (laughs) daddy democracy Uh, daddy (laughs) looks like you need some good daddying um (laughs) yeah it's so funny because like when i got this funding for the show i was writing a musical called i or gay which is an exploration of names are beautiful i know (laughs) i know but so problematic and it's obviously not my story um, but I remember telling that I was in Dublin Fringe HQ last March BC before COVID and I got the funding to make this R&D of, of I or Gay and I said it's going to be probably about Oliver Cromwell and like the accountant was there and she just went like like she just she just didn't she just wasn't into it it was really interesting um, for, for those like, who can't see us which is all of you Anthony just closes laptop so basically yeah I was like I'm gonna make a show about British colonialism because I did this I did confirmation my show about Roscommon in Edinburgh and no one cared and I was like it's because they don't care about Irish stories but really the show just didn't hit it off in Edinburgh and I got misled into this world of like educating and stuff but basically yeah I ended up um, doing a residency with an amazing um Australian Aboriginal women of colour circus troupe called Hot Brown Honey and they we worked together in um, Tyrone Guthrie Centre for like a week and we kind of settled on this idea of Oliver Cromwell and, and from then on once I had a focus to like focus the, the history of Irish colonialism behind Oliver it all became very clear and it very quickly became a very much a kind of a pop disco musical about Oliver Cromwell who's sort of like who's Puritan which means he's extremely religious and clean and strict but in his visualization of his of the way he performs is like he's an S&M daddy and he's very much like a a punisher and a daddy and he is in control and he loves big big powerful pop songs and um, he loves theatre even though he banned theatre you know so I'm kind of exploring this um, idea of like contradictions in terms of like who the people are that we hate and why we might like them and um, why he as a character who's made so many poor decisions in Ireland for example with the with the Drogheda and all that kind of stuff maybe the audience might actually like him and come around and it, it's it's a kind of an awkward proposition as an Irish person to make but I'm I'm kind of wanting to try and I don't know 
challenge our perceptions of the history that we've been told. And I, I don't know, it's very like, you might yeah, end up really that's... liking Oliver. That's that's really interesting. That's amazing. And I'm reminded of like Louise O'Neill's perspective. You know, Louise O'Neill wrote this novel based on West Cork. This sounds like completely unrelated. Yes. Now, like, I'm going to yeah, yeah, draw yeah. a connection here. Um, but she she kind of um, created metaphors out of her characters that the, the domineering husband was like representative of England and yeah. the, the passive uh, abused wife was um, a metaphor to represent Ireland. And Ireland, the wife, felt safe with the domineering man because that's all she knew that she would be looked after by him, even though he was abusive. Mm. Do you know? And it's kind of that Ireland, England connection there, even though the country was oppressed and colonized, we were safer in this bigger, bigger nation's hands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that does make sense. So is that kind of something that you're that you're looking to explore there? Yeah, well, I mean, I'm getting there as in I'm at the moment more. I'm not even, the show is so, the research has been so massive and it's taken me, I had lockdowns, which kind of helped. Had a year to like really work on it and we're going into development again this week to do more work on it. And at the moment I'm figuring out who Oliver is, like in this context and like, what does he look like when when he comes back? And why is he back? Like, is he being, is his statue being overthrown? people don't really remember him in England. So that's, that's kind of interesting. Also, people don't realise that, um, Arshul don't realise that he was dug up and hung and his head was went missing for 200 years. So he's got, he also has that on his shoulder. So I'm kind of like, kind of creating this character who he sees himself as a victim, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the other hand, this, this whole thing about Ireland, his relationship to Ireland and how kind of Ireland had a coming and there's a, a dance piece where like he Irish dances over Drogheda and it's like so hilarious and what's really fascinating as well is like I'm I, I, I'm performing as Oliver um, I just gave myself the role and um, he comes so when we did it two three weeks ago in the Clapham Grand Oliver walks out on stage and everyone is just booing and it's really interesting as a performer it's actually so exciting to be booed and to have the opportunity to like make people really like you and get the audience who themselves are Irish or international to become part of your army to go to Ireland and kill the Irish. And it sounds controversial and it sounds intense, but also because I am Irish and Oliver has an Irish accent, Mm. it's like, what is happening? Like, who, you know, I'm still piecing together all this sort of like what the meaning is and how far can we go and... It's just going to be, I think it's going to be quite controversial in a way, which I hope, I hope, but also I hope I don't get any death threats. <laughs> no, this is, this is important. It's important to make challenging theatre. That's what theatre is all about. Yeah, exactly. Talk to us a bit about confirmation. So you talked about it going to Edinburgh, but didn't you, didn't you bring it to Roscommon? Yeah, so confirmation was a piece, I thought it was going to be my big moment and it just wasn't. Um, it was a piece about growing up in Roscommon, growing up queer on the land, a kind of a love letter to Roscommon following the 2015 referendum where they voted no in the gay marriage referendum. And it was kind of my way of saying like, well, yeah, this, con- I mean, like, this is a trend that I have, actually. Yeah, like everyone turned against Roscommon and I kind of went in, like parachuted in to like figure out what happened and find a way to like say, well, they're really nice people or, you know, oops, you know. And I think that actually relates to the Oliver thing where it's like, yeah, he's a dick, but dot, dot, dot. And I think I'm always trying to like extrapolate further, deeper into like why people make decisions. But um, 
it it was kind of a pop concert set on my dad's farm um and it was in Dublin Fringe but it was very it was very re-traumatizing so I kind of I went through all this writing about my childhood and talking about like how a teacher you know two two lads were like calling me gay I was like eight years old and a teacher pulled me out and just instead of being like you little nitwits like stop saying that she just turned to me and was like are you gay you know in front of like these children and like I tried to turn these experiences into pop like dance um kind of um Robin-esque you know Robin loves to like dance out a sad moment it was kind of like that but I ended up instead of um kind of like releasing a lot of like pain I just ended up re-traumatizing myself so I remember like the week before the show at the fringe just like having to edit the script and like literally having to move my laptop away because there was so much water coming out of my face because I was and it was just but it was a very interesting experience because if you're making autobiographical work you need to put steps and spaces in to protect the artist and I just didn't do that for myself you know mm. and you know and then when people come in and they see the show and I had so much like weird promotion for like it was like selling out and I was like oh my god this is too much pressure and then the reviews were like fine I was like oh my god people are reviewing my life it's very un- unfortunate that I've decided mm. to do this um so I don't know why I'm saying all this but it is it's like the 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 emotional impact of making work is something that I've been thinking a lot about and after that I had to like basically go into therapy for about a year because mm-hmm. I couldn't yeah. um I couldn't really function I was like burnt out and was like disassociating and like having kind of weird kind of a weird like psychological moment where I just wasn't really able to cope and I'd be like crying between shows like just on in, on in, unable to just stop it was just so unusual and people would I never really was able to speak about it mm-hmm. so it's very interesting and then and then we for some reason decided to do Edinburgh Fringe which um was fine but it was just like re-traumatizing myself again and again and again and no matter how much I tried to separate myself from it I just couldn't handle it but then the difference between that and like the Oliver Cromwell show is that like it's Oliver Cromwell and it's not me you know Mm -hmm. they might review me as like what I do and how bad the idea is or whatever but like I can handle that but I I just couldn't handle the idea of like people saying "Mm," like it just doesn't really didn't really make me feel anything or or where's the drag you know because I wasn't in any makeup or anything so it was interesting but life is like that like making work is like very much like a journey and it isn't fixed and like I'm always looking for ways to like change what I do and just keep learning that was a very long-winded story but no that was that was wonderful thank you for sharing that yeah are you okay to talk about it a bit more yeah absolutely and like what's really nice about it is like you step away from it and the echo of that stuff kind of ends like the you know the pain and the kind of memory of it and you move on and you actually I've become much more like professional much more careful and caring to artists that I work with as well as a result of my own experience and I do a lot less work which people find very unusual because I get these like people coming up to me drag queens being like are you not doing loads of brunches you're not doing loads of gigs and I'm like no loads of gigs equals cystitis so you know I'll just I'll just burn out and I'll be wrecked and I won't be able to make work um but I did have this lovely boy come up to me in a pub in London about about a month ago I was you know always a always a promoter I heard these Irish voices at a table and I just wasn't in the mood to promote the Irish event that I was doing and um my friend was like I'll do it for you. I'll promote. And he went over to the table and was like, my friend, X-Anthony, has a show. And then someone just went, X-Anthony? 
it's Anthony. What? And then, can I talk to him now? And then the guy was like, yeah, come outside. So this, like, young Irish guy came out and he was like, I saw your show when I was 16. Confirmation. It changed It changed everything for me. It made me really feel I could do something. And I wasn't total loser or whatever. And thank you so much for that. And I was like, wow. That show that brought me so much hectic pain mm. has made you into, you know, has given you some sort of life. And it felt very genuine. It wasn't just like a, mm. a, a kind of a weird, it wasn't just a fan experience, which it would be nice if it happened again. Um, it was very much like, you've made me feel like, you gave me a sense of, I can do what I want to do rather than like, can I? And I thought that was really nice. So yeah, there is always good outcomes, mm. I think. Yeah. And what, um, how did the show come to Roscommon? Did you make that choice to bring it home to where well, it was, was set? So when it was being made, it was always going to be, it was developed in Roscommon with the team. So we worked on the farm, my dad's farm, and okay. we made music with the cows. And there was so much joy in the music process. It was, I was, I, I always wanted to release the music because the music was so brilliant. Like there was a song about a cow that escapes and there was just such kind of like power there because the land is so powerful. And my dad's land in particular, it was like one of the places where the um, cattle ra- cattle raids or... Uh, oh yeah the Tawn Bo Coolin yeah Queen May exactly and all that. yeah, yeah. Um, but even more recently with the land grab and getting the land back into the hands of like local workers my, my dad's land would have been discussed in the House of Commons in England in in Britain so there's something really powerful about that yeah. Um, that there is a that Roscommon is a, a land of like revolution and like power uh, maybe not to what other people say but um, other people <laughs> think but um, it was always going to come back to Roscommon and it did and it was extremely strange and my mum was just in the audience like like not able to look because it was so personal and like there is like it was great and I also it had to happen but I don't know I I wouldn't do it again yeah and that sounds really negative but it's like you don't need to always bring everything back home yeah no you had that experience you tried it and it wasn't good for you and there's nothing wrong with learning from that and moving on to other stuff that is better for you you know. Exactly, and like we did, I did bring a show back in 2015 with my Eurovision show that I made uh, years ago, and people loved it. And I had people coming up to me after my confirmation show du- saying, "Dues point, wasn't it?" Dues, yeah, dues, yeah. yeah. Oh, dues, dues yeah. point. Um, and like that, that toured all over the place, and like that was brilliant. Like people loved that because it was just fun. And uh, Roscommon audiences were like, "We need this like camp energy." Um, but confirmation, to be honest, I think just did, it was too serious for them or for okay. people, and maybe for me, you know. And I don't know. I don't want to speak on their of their their own experience of it, but it just I could feel it was like I felt there was a lot of like you really did that, Anthony, and we're very you know proud of you. But that must have been really hard for you in a way, you know. Mm. And it's like okay, I'm not doing that again. So music is a big part of what you do. Yeah. How do you write music for? your shows do you play instruments do you work with other people sorry Andrew Marr just came back on um (laughs) yeah like so the music thing is like always been a part of the process but only in the last two three years have I like really kind of it's like a secret weapon that I have in a way like maybe like you know you might think of a, a musician who you don't really think writes their own music but they do like I do write a lot of it and I do have a massive part in that process but it's not really front and center in my CV, if that makes sense. But um, Confirmation was like the first, well, for Dues, we wrote a lot of the music and it was all like really insane music. Um, we wrote one song that was just us counting to a billion. 
which well. sounds really <laughs> funny and stupid, but it was it's really strong. Um, but with confirmation, it was like a process with the, the songwriter called Odu that I work with, kind of on a permanent basis now. And I would basically write free write. I would do all the research on the sounds and the the references and get really caught up in that aesthetic, the oral aesthetic. And then Sally would Sally Odulong would um kind of formulate a song from it. Um, and then for Oliver Cromwell, it's an interesting process because I've kind of I'm taking more of a writing lead in the sense that like I'm not allowing the writing to be overly poppy, if that makes sense. So if Oliver is saying something like, uh, which ordinarily in a pop song wouldn't sound right, like he might say, I'm from Huntington, Huntingtonshire. Ow, hunting the Irish. Sorry. Um, Like this sort of like spoken word, like not rap, but like mm-hmm. sentences yeah, of yeah. information that kind of need to be said. So in pop songs, it's hard to say that um, mm. uh, without just saying the whole sentence. Um, but I did actually was really lucky. I got some funding from um, the UK government to to really invest in producing music and like learning about that. So I've been um, learning how to produce music, which is really interesting. Amazing. So it is becoming yeah. like a part of my. But th- what that means is not like I'm suddenly going to turn up to a, to a show and be like, I'm going to produce the music. I can't actually write melody like that's not how I work. But I can produce sounds and I ha- and I do sit with the producers that I work with and I we work together as a producer. So like for the shows, I'm listed as a music producer, which sounds mad when I say it, but I'm literally in the machine being like, make that sound different. Yeah. Are you there, little sound? I can hear you. Um, which is really, really fun. And it means as well, like for the Oliver Cromwell development, I don't have to have a team of producers that cost like 500 quid a day on set. I can just on stage or in the, in the space, I can just be like, send me the project file and I'll edit it and I'll fix it up and, you know, I'll make some decisions and it kind of makes the process a bit more like intimate and a bit quicker. Hmm. But yeah. Cool. So <laughs> you talked there about getting funding, this terrifying, difficult thing for young artists. And I, maybe that's just me. I feel like everyone else has got a handle on it. But how, what I find baffling is how can you approach a funding application with work that speaks to you and comes from your own authentic self, but also pitch it in a way that makes them think, yeah, I'll put money to this. Like, how does that work? What's the secret, Anthony? Uh, the secret is, oh God, okay, this, I mean, I could do it. I could sit you down for three hours and sit and talk you through this because I do a lot of artists and I have a really high hit rate of people I work with getting funding because I sit with them and like, we think about this. But for me, it's actually about committing to the a to the the genius of the idea that you have. So like, you obviously were funded for this. It worked. You got the money. You committed to it. It was a very strong ask, and that's part of it. But also, you need to think about oh, this is where it gets really complicated. What are the funders looking for? So like, Coca Cola might want to fund a project, but God knows it won't be it won't be about the environment. You know what I mean, or whatever. So it's just important to think about what the stakeholders are looking for and what they're what they're looking to develop and support. And also, it's unfair to say, but it is a language game. Like, it is about speaking the language of the application. And I look at applications sometimes and they haven't even read the terms and conditions or the guidelines. And they basically, you need to speak back to them about what they're already asking for, if that makes sense. So if they they really want to support new work well it can't be something that's not new simple you know that's a really simple example but um 
But the main thing is that you really... I get excited about my own ideas, which sounds like really, obviously we all should be, but like I know when I'm writing an application, also only write, you should only be writing funny applications if the idea is true. Like, is this, I always have this like test. Is this urgent? Must it be said now? If not, move on. And that has hold true so many times. I have like started funding applications for projects that just don't need to happen and they never get funded. Mm. Um, and like anything that I've been like, this has to be made now in the next year or else it won't be relevant, that's got funded. Does that mm. make sense? Yeah. That's my version of, of events. Mm. And would you recommend like doing a bit of investigative work as well? So you talked about like, what do they want to fund? Like Coca-Cola aren't going to fund the environment, but would you like look into who they've funded before and what work they've funded before? Would you even maybe find out who's on the panel if possible? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, like, the thing is, I wouldn't worry too much about, like, what, um, I mean, there's some places I know just won't fund me, mm. because I know that they have a track record of funding certain kind of artists, mm. and that's not, a, that's not a read, but, like, for example, I'm not going to say names, but there are some Irish organisations that just, they won't touch me, because they can't put me into a box, basically, mm-hmm. um, but then there are other organisations, like, I find Arts Council Ireland are actually looking to fund work, if you have a track record. So a lot of the issue is that people need to kind of spend the first three or four years just spending a lot of their own money and self-raising money yeah. to get a kind of a track record, to get that show in the Project Art Centre, to get that show in the Dublin Fringe. And once you kind of pass that, you know, there are lots of companies that we both would love that haven't been funded yet. Mm-hmm. And it's not the be all and end all, but it does make a lot of difference. Um, but I would say just like, make sure you read the... the um, I always read the, like, the Arts Council might have, like, we're looking to do this bursary and we're looking to fund these things. Like, write down what your idea is and link it back to those to those main words. And if you can do that, you're, you're probably into a, in a good chance of winning, of getting the money. It's not winning, but... <laughs> it's winning. It, it, it is winning. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I, I think as well it's important not to feel, like, resentful mm-hmm. because, like, yeah. um, other people will get it and you might not get it. And, you know, maybe your application wasn't good. <laughs> maybe it just wasn't good hon um yeah you you're you speak so truly to yourself and you remain really true to yourself but is there anything is there anything in yourself or in your art that you think ah that comes from this person that i was inspired by in other words has anyone ever inspired you <laughs> that's so interesting because like i find this really hard because yeah. i am so inspired but i've also come to a point in my work where i'm not as interested in what other artists are doing that sounds really like arrogant it's not it's like I kind of know I have my own world Mm -hmm. you know um I have my own tools and I know what I'm looking for and I know the artists that I really do admire but when I was younger I was really inspired by obviously Panty who was just sort of like this sort of beacon and there's an artist um kind of a feminist artist called Bobby Baker who makes shows with food and now is in her late 70s but I found her really interesting. She would do these like subversions of middle class life where she would go into the shop with the kind of a trolley and she's very British and she would be going around like putting cans of tuna in her mouth like, you know, and she looked like Petunia from Harry Potter, Mm -hmm. like very middle class. And that was really funny because it was this sort of perceived like almost like a Tory, like going into the shop with like a housewife's garb shoving like cans of beans like 
very funny. So that kind of like informed my um, thing. But also I love pop. So I've always been obsessed with pop music and Madonna, Kate Bush and Bjork. And I, I actually end up seeing a lot more pop experiences and theater experiences because yeah. that kind of comes into my world more. I'm more interested in that than theater because I can speak in music more than I can speak in theater. I really struggle with theater, to be honest. Um, I hate a lot of theater. I really do. I really struggle. I just can't get past it. I'm like, I just can't get into this. And I, I end up leaving things being like, I can't tell that person I didn't like their show. You know what I mean? Because that's just the way I am. Um, but the moment I'm really into, there's a couple of artists that I'm always keeping an eye on, which is like Lucy McCormick, um, who you should all like check out, who's this amazing performer. Um, Taylor Mack in New York um, does these massive queer like extravaganzas, like did like 300 year history of American music where there's like god is it 300 people on stage it's 24 hours long um it goes on for ages and he's singing and the last the last hour is just him and his own voice um yeah it's mad so those are the kind of people that i i'm keeping always keeping an eye on um you talk about like you know you you might make performances that are rooted in something political or personal and something that strikes um like a deep place either in you or your audiences but you also you love making stuff that's fun and that's a laugh do you ever like are you seeking to hit a middle ground in the work that you're making now to like find a place that's really fun and enjoyable and it's a laugh and it's exciting for an audience but also something that makes people think or do you ever just want to be like no this is a laugh yeah um there's moments in performances where so for example in Sodom and Megara last month we always end the show with a kind of a band a live band sing-along it's so simple it's not political it's emotional and it gets people really going because we sing like Irish hits and we do it in a kind of like kind of a choir style mm-hmm. and folk band style and there's nothing political about that it's just about feeling like the sound of music the sound of music in your ear and letting that sort of trigger emotions and stuff and so I think I am I do look for just a laugh sometimes like but also inherently like putting a show together like Sodom and Megara is inherently political because you're the small decisions you make mm. kind of add up to a bigger picture for Sodom and Megara I was like looking in the audience and I made this joke about like if you're not from Ireland and you don't know what I'm saying because I started the show with an Irish song about going to the toilet in Irish like it was just total nonsense if you don't understand what it is I'm not explaining it I don't have to and I remember there was this like British girl I know in the front like with her handbag clutched like throughout the whole show and afterwards was just like I had no idea what was happening and I just said well that's fine so there is something political even with just having a bit of fun you know Mm -hmm. um but it is, I know you're asking, like, I, I do, it's that sweet spot between, like, what's, oh, yeah, someone described it as, like, what's the egg, the golden egg? Like, do you leave with something? Do you hold it with you? And will you hold it with you for a lot for a while? And I kind of want that, which means I can't do that many shows. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just can't. I just can't, um, I can't make it happen because they just take so f- bloody long to make. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which I kind of love. Can you talk to us a bit about the community work you do? So I've noticed on your Instagram, you're doing like legends and legacies. And can you talk to us about any other work that you're doing that involves community? 
Yeah, I mean, like, so it's so funny because, like, I hadn't really reached a point in my career where I could, like, realistically, realistically say, oh, listen to what I say, but also I kind of had to, like, I needed, I found that I needed to work less with myself. It was a result of confirmation. I didn't want to work on my own work. I wanted to work with other people and allow my producing skills to, like, help other people tell stories. And, like, for example, I worked um, with the Brothers of Charity in Roscommon on this community project where um we basically like there's an exhibition at the end of the tunnel and i hadn't done an exhibition in 10 years and i didn't really want to do an exhibition because i just couldn't see why it would be good for me but did this project with brothers charity and found out that these people i was working with these amazing characters loved coloring absolutely adored coloring like coloring in pictures So we spent like weeks just doing loads of painting and drawing and colouring in between the lines, outside the lines. And then I worked with the illustrator Daisy Allen in London and we ended up taking prints and photographs and drawings that they'd done, blowing them up to like a large scale and then printing them and having them on the walls in the art centre where the participants and the public could come in and colour in their drawings. And it was kind of like this... um, it was kind of a nice little wink because the show was called Very Famous Art to Colour In and it was this joke about like they've made this art they're not they're not famous but you can come in and you can add to the experience and kind of activate the work and also in Roscommon like people they're not as they're not as used to having like interactive art pieces which is fine uh, so it was kind of like a kind of a quiet little like wink uh, and a chuckle and a kind of nice experience for the public to come in and take part but the reason I did that was again it's like I, I have ability to produce things and I like to just give people the opportunity to do things that are enjoyable to them it's there's not really a it's I think there is if you think about it deeper I do like to I like to see people who don't get chances to speak as much as others I like to give them a bit of a chance mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah. um, and then with the legends and legacies it was literally uh, thinking about age and how a lot of people that I was working with were under 30 mm-hmm. and I thought oh that's not that's not really representative of the world and I just ended up working with a charity called Opening Doors London that work with older LGBTQ plus people and we made the show where they just show off and that was basically and that that was basically the idea it was like I'll help you show off mm. that's it really mm. but it, it's simple in its terms like it's not really trying to I'm not saying it's groundbreaking. I'm just saying it's like a chance to shine, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, love that. Oh yeah, you you come you're you're very um you're a producer and you're a decision maker and you're organized. Like when you're talking to me about like your pin board and like saying that has to come in at that time and that needs to that we need something bad here so that looks good. Like that's that's super organized and that's like strong director energy. So when you have your team of creatives who do you work best with? What does your creative team, what qualities do your sidekicks have, basically, that help you? Yeah, so interesting because, like, so the producer role is so challenging because I did have, I was working with some people and, like, it's very hard to produce with other producers because I produce so intensely. Um, Like, it's, it could be overbearing to, to, I'm not, like, I'm not checking everyone's, like, or is everything checked and double-checked t- and stuff, but, mm-hmm. like, I just enjoy it. Like, I love checking in on things. And I love budgets. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I get really, really anal about, like, spending. Wow. Like, you know, um, yeah. and I'm really, like, I really don't like the words uh, black hole or uh, 
sure it'll only be a de- in a deficit like that stuff drives me insane no, like no, no. everything must at least break even or make some money um but i've had to learn this because like i always worked with people in a kind of collaborative way and there was always trouble there because we never really had a director director which meant that every single show i ever did for dublin fringe let me tell you was a hot mess until that door opened because there was no director to like lead the thing i'm performing and writing and da da da, da and like that was all fine at a smaller scale, but like when I got when I after the confirmation where there wasn't a director, it really showed that it had it was an issue. Um, so for example, with Oliver Cromwell, I have a director, and it's changed everything because it. Someone said to me once, like, "How are you the lead artist? You can't be the lead artist when you're making a show because there's the director, and it's just not true." Because when I work with my director Sam on Oliver Cromwell, he works with me. And then Mm -hmm. he steps away and directs, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like we're there like writing down text and he's so funny. He's like, I thought you were funny. Why are you not being funny right now? And it's like, it's really hard for me. I can't be funny without like 20 people in the audience. Like otherwise it's just like paperwork. Um, But um, what's basically I'm trying to say is uh, I need people who will work as a team basically and there isn't like there isn't a hierarchy because I'm not also I'm not also putting myself at the top at all like it's not like I'm deciding anything usually people other people make all the decisions sometimes yeah. um like I don't get sometimes like someone will say we need three things and it just happens you know and I'm not like no because I have to say no um yeah it's oh, this is so complicated really because I don't really want people to have ego either like I need everyone to sort of like to be as productive and real as possible and if anyone has any kind of notions I really I get very like put off because I don't really have notions either to to I do I do but like not in the room do you know what I mean okay you're practical I'm practical like I really want people to like work and make the best work they can make and um let's let's like glow and be really thrilled and talk ourselves up after okay you know um, I haven't really answered your question though. Like I, I... no, no, I, I, like I, I see where you're coming from, and yeah. But what kind of like if you were to create a team to make something, what qualities would you look for in people besides um, no notions? Pra- no notions, pragmatism. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't be dealing with like faffing and I, I i like decisions to be made and yeah sometimes decisions take ages like you know and we're not sure about something but let's just move on it's pragmatism you know i really like i had a brilliant producer ruth um hawkins who was working with me on oliver cromwell from the roundhouse london and like her great ability which i loved was that she was able to bring people forward in their process so whether it was like i'm not getting enough writing done with this person she was like well every monday you're doing a meeting that's it move on keep moving forward mm-hmm. and it's like that moving forward thing because artists are in term like terminally procrastinate and do not follow their deadlines and turn up late i'm not that kind of artist like a lot i've heard stories of like people who are like the lead artist like not turning up to rehearsals and not delivering text like that's not how i work like i'm very much like this is what we're doing and we're working really hard blah 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 blah, blah. Mm-hmm. but um i just like pragmatism you know keep get, let, let's get the show made you know, mm-hmm. how is Oliver Cromwell Cromwell being written? Are you guys coming up with new stuff in the room every day? Would you go home and write a bit more and bring it in? Are other people writing stuff at home and bringing stuff in? Like how how is it coming together? 
It's tricky because like it's a lockdown show in a way because um, we were meant to do development in bloody March but last year but I spend I kind of spent time um, with my songwriter Sally writing loads and figuring out what we wanted the character and that was sort of free writing mm-hmm. um, and that never really came into the actual finished like working text that we have now but it allowed me to figure out what I was trying to say Um and then some of the text would have turned into music. Like, for example, there's one song which was about Oliver Cromwell finding his head and being like, so look, I, I really didn't deserve to be beheaded. Like, I'm not that bad. And then he passes his head around the audience like a past the parcel. And wow. the head starts to speak to the audience saying like, you're a bitch. <laughs> you also are trouble. And like <laughs> hundreds of Oliver Cromwell's heads fall from the ceiling onto people. And it's like... So th- those kind of ideas come from like just writing and like not thinking and not editing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I might say to Sally, go write a song on this idea. So I was like, we need to write a song where Oliver apologizes for everything. Mm-hmm. Can you do that? And I'll have written something and she might ignore it or take it on board, you know, or write something else. And then with Sam and I kind of for like the talking text, like Sam and I will talk out like funny situations or Oliver talking to the audience like, I'm British, English, Meghan Markle. You know, like figuring out, like being funny together. And then that's that. Like it's not, there's no real like, there's no real big like ta-da. It's literally very small decision makes, making decisions that come kind of happen. And it's hard, but, um, and very much it's never funny. It's never really that funny. Um, Yeah, but. Well, like, do you, do you just say that about it being funny or not funny because you're, you're you're rehearsing that stuff you're discussing that stuff you're putting music to that stuff you're thinking pragmatically about things so the initial moment of like ah oh, that's funny we'll throw that in that's dead now and the only way that's going to become funny again is for audiences to hear it for the first time is that what's happening yeah like i can't that's why we're doing a showing obviously this is going to be showed in the future but we're doing a showing on thursday four days after our first a second week of development third week of development because i really need to get audiences in front of it so that i can like test out material um and test out the songs because the songs are gas like yeah there's a song about puritanism puritanism that's kind of like a mix between like we found love and kali minogue (laughs) Like, it's just like, I need to see what this is like in front of an audience yeah. while there is audiences. Um, so I do trust that I'm funny, but I also don't find things funny in the rehearsal room at all. Like, It's different when you're in front of people as well. You can kind of gauge how they're feeling as well. Yeah, and uh, usually the jokes that you think they're really weak, audiences love, so. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's what's theatre in London like now? Like over here, there's a lot of filmed stuff happening. I think Galway Arts is going ahead, but like it's it's a lot of real small audiences. Things are real cozy. Even the film festivals are all like outside and stuff. But like from the looks of Sodom and Megara in June, that looked huge. And like from Instagram stories and stuff, like everyone's out in nightclubs. Like what's what's going on for you guys there for performance? Yeah, it's weird. Like I feel like we're in this petri dish of like experimentation in terms of like our lives but um like so so i'm actually happy to see that a lot of like independent venues are bringing in covid passports i actually am against the idea of covid passports but actually when it comes to doing an event that i'm producing and everyone that's in the room is double jabbed or has a negative test i'm like okay that -hmm. mitigates risk um with solomon Megara, it was only 160 people um usually that would have been like 400 people or 500 Mm -hmm. um so and it was all spaced out and I think it was a bit raw, raw, rousy. I know it was, but 
a part of me is a bit like you you need to accept the risk of going out and we have all these mitigating things in place but I don't know I don't really I'm not really that interested it's so funny after lockdown I'm not that interested in seeing theatre it's so bizarre um, I'm more I, I don't know I haven't really seen any show I saw one drag show which was terrible oh my god I went to the show at 6 o'clock and I didn't leave until 10 and I'm never going to have those 4 hours back oh no do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was uh, it? And- <laughs> what makes something like that terrible? Mentioning Re- reality. Ah. Like there was the mention of COVID like fifty times. Um, oh. Also, I get I'm very put off by structure. So if a cabaret show isn't structured very well, I'll get really pulled out of it. Mm-hmm. It's a busman's holiday. It's like, oh man, why are you doing the game at the beginning of the show? The game won't make any sense. No one's lubed up yet. Come on, move it later. But I can't get involved. It's not my show. Also, yeah. in London, you're nobody. Like, you're just another Joe off the street. Like, they don't they don't care who you are. Mm-hmm. Also, right. now people don't recognise me when I'm like this. They think that, like, I'm just a really hot twink. <laughs> I mean, it's true. But, but thank you. you know. <laughs> a- a- aging twink. Um, but, the, yeah, I think London's real. I don't know. I, we'll see what happens. Like, um, yeah. It, Ireland and UK are so different in their approaches. Like, Ireland's very, very, very cautious. And the UK is like go for it and it's like somewhere in the middle is like the is the perfect space mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's true um we ask this of like all our interviewees and i think your response is going to be very interesting uh it's it's cliche but i always think something interesting comes out of it what advice would you give to someone who wants to do the work that you do Oh my god. Oh, this sounds so like boring, but like just get good at producing. Okay. <laughs> just do it. Like, just get good at it. <laughs> just do just get good at producing. Like learn how to do a spreadsheet. Um be so professional at all times. Mm. Like don't let your little visionary diva brain get in front of you. You are literally nothing. And actually a really good piece of advice is if it's not working, don't do it. Like mm. I often say at shows, I do work, I do like a mentoring thing. And I often say like, if you're not good at it, but everyone's, and everyone's saying you're not good at it, maybe you're not good at it. Mm. That sounds really harsh, but it's like, we don't, you don't need to do something that isn't true to you. So if you're better at crochet, do the crochet babes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just, I don't know, like, don't read reviews or go online. Yeah. How do Ever. you, how do you like, how do you stay professional and pragmatic, but also celebrate your diva? Uh, good question. Um, I usually keep it for the stage. Like I don't, it doesn't work. And it doesn't work backstage because there's so many egos in the room anyway that like, mm-hmm. it's like trying to pierce through fog. Like it just wouldn't yeah. work. Um, and I've also know that my my type of work only really works on my terms. Like I don't do people don't invite me to do shows because I don't think I really work at other shows. Well, or maybe I'm just not good. But um, yeah, just keep it to the stage. And I also also keep your keep your absolute cool at all times. Um, and I also spend a lot of time saying hello to the artists I work with and like sitting down with them and being kind of present. It sounds really weird because I have done it before where I've been an absolute bitch and been really like harsh and mean or sassy or whatever and it just doesn't work and I really want people to always come in and leave feeling like well I felt really supported and very that you know that was a hard show didn't go so well for me but Anthony and his team were really kind that's Mm kind of what I want Mm -hmm. 
beautiful. And yeah. you were so kind during this interview. Oh, such a kind little boy. <laughs> Wait till I uh, post something online. I'm not going to say anything. I'll say nothing. Cancel <laughs> us. Cancel no, us. Oh, babes. It ha- 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 it's being cancelled as a rite of passage at this stage. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> we'll get there, Misha. Someday we'll, we'll be cancelled. <laughs> say something offensive now. Go for it. No. No, okay. Never. Um, Never. Where can people find you, Anthony? Oh, uh, uh, Bethnal Green, London. No, um, <laughs> uh, my postcode is my postcode E2. Dot, 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 dot. Um, I, you can find me oh, just find me online. I don't really know. Instagram is the best place because I'm always on Instagram. Instagram, Alex Anthony, X N T H O N Y, X N T H O N Y. Don't spell it wrong. You'll never find me. <laughs> There's no way. It's an X, guys. Okay, that was that was absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you so thank much. Thank you so much. You're an absolute gem. And oh, thank you guys. You're you've really cheered me up, and I'm cheered Good. me up as in you know when I say cheered up, like it's not like I wasn't happy in the first place, but you know when you get something, you have a nice dinner, you find something nice to eat, and it goes oh, bit that of a boost. Nice. Yeah, that we was were nice. your nice dinner at eleven Yay. o'clock in the morning. <laughs> I love it. I actually, I'm going to be going to kickboxing now, so this is just perfectly Wonderful. timed. I'm gonna bait the shit out of someone. <laughs> After all, lovey and like nice talking about performances, guys. Like, oh, kickboxing, change yeah. things up. Thank you so. Okay, so much. well, thank you so much. I've been Molly. I've been Misha. I've been Anthony. Yay! We're all ourselves. No one's changed <laughs> identity in the last hour. Well done. <laughs> We've never done that before, but I feel like it suits. Okay, thank nice. you so much. Thank you. Bye 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 bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of In Fairness Inquire Roscommon Artists. You just heard there from Anthony Keeher, aka X Anthony, and thank you so much to him for joining us for that lovely chat. You can find Anthony on his website at www.xanthony.com. That's X N T H O N Y.com. Or Instagram and Twitter at X Anthony. If you're in London, do make sure to catch his show, Oliver Cromwell is Really Very Sorry, when it hits stages. You can find our podcast, In Fairness, on ACAS, Spotify and iTunes. Make sure to tune into our interview next week where we chat to comedian Sharon Mannion. You can hear more from us and our interviewees on our Instagram at InFairnessPod, same on Twitter and InFairnessPodcast on Facebook. Feel free to get in touch with us on any of these platforms with any questions or suggestions that you may have for us. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast if you're listening on ACAST or iTunes, it really does go a long way. Share us on your stories, tell your friends, tell your dogs, tell your cats about us to help the artists in this series get the promotion they deserve. Thank you again to Roscommon County Council for their support in helping us create this series and to our wonderful mentor Catherine Sheridan for keeping us in check and bringing us both together at the very beginning of our journey. You've been listening to Inferno's Inquire, Roscommon Artists. Research questions and producing by Molly Mew, sound engineering, editing and producing by Misha Fitzgibbon. Thank you so much for listening. Chat to you next week. Thank you.